Welcome to the Thinking Faith Podcast, a collection of talks and Q&A that address the big questions we're all asking about God, life and purpose. Let's invite Max to come up and uh, share with us on today's topic, what does true success look like? Actually, quite a number of questions I see in my device. Why do they need Jesus um, if they're already happy? And why specifically Jesus? Why specifically the Christian God? Um, I think that's a whole other talk. Maybe we can do that another time. Um, but the short answer to that question is, there are, I mean, there's like 50 reasons. There are three good ones, I think, that are enough for me because I had to ask myself that question um, before I chose to believe uh, and step into this story and this relationship. Um, the first is that truth is indispensable, right? Truth is actually a really important thing. And I think the first and ultimately the best reason um, to step into this relationship with Jesus and accept this invitation from God is because it's true. If everything else that I've said, even if that was true, but Jesus wasn't real and this message wasn't true, it wouldn't be worth it. The first and best and only reason ultimately to be a Christian is because it's true. And so some people might say, well, I don't really care if it's true or not. Well, everyone does care about truth. No one wants to live a lie. You know, you guys might remember that old movie, The Truman Show, right, where He's living what seems to be an idyllic, happy life. He's fine. Everything's fine. Until we all find out, and ultimately he finds out, that his whole life is a lie. Everyone in his life is an actor. The whole town that he lives in is a television studio. It's being live-beamed 24-7 as reality TV. And all of us that watch that movie spend the whole movie hoping and encouraging and cheering for him to get out and escape. Why is that? Because deep down in every human heart, whether you're Christian or not, people have an aversion to lies. We want truth. And so my first reason is, why do we need Jesus? Because he's real, because it's actually true. That's the first reason. So truth is indispensable. Secondly, suffering is unavoidable. You might be happy now, but you are messed up and the world is messed up. You might not be happy tomorrow. There are going to be problems. And the Christian message offers, in my view, the greatest response to human suffering. A God that's willing to come and suffer with us, that actually took suffering onto himself died on a cross, defeated it, and now offers all of us the two things that all people need in the midst of suffering. Hope beyond the suffering and comfort and strength in the suffering to get through it. We are all going to need that at some point. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest response. There are other responses out there. We don't have time to go through them all. But none of them compare to a God that would be willing to step into the world and suffer for us, and now is willing to suffer with us. So truth is indispensable. Suffering is unavoidable. Thirdly, and probably most interestingly and excitingly, happiness is not enough. Why would, you, why, why would I need Jesus if I'm happy? Well, happiness is not enough. C.S. Lewis, the great you know, Oxford and Cambridge professor and Christian writer, he said, almost derogatorily, he said, happiness, ha, huh, if happiness was all I needed, all I would need would be a good bottle of whiskey and a few friends. Happiness is actually a very easy thing to get. You don't need God for that. If happiness is all you're after, I'm sorry to have wasted your time. You don't need to be here tonight. Happiness is very easy. You can get that from a hug or a decent bowl of ice cream or a nice plate of chicken rice or scratching a mosquito bite or a good movie with friends, one of the new Marvel movies. Feeling happy is actually really easy. Happiness is peanuts. You don't need God for that. The Christian God offers us something far better than happiness. He offers us something that the world actually doesn't know how to define as distinct from happiness. The Christian Bible and the Christian message talks about this thing called joy. Now, if you Google it, don't Google it now, but in the Oxford Dictionary, in the Google Dictionary, on dictionary.com, joy and happiness are the same thing. 
All that means is out there, once you throw God out of the picture, there's no difference. In fact, smart people out there will just say, well, joy is just a whole lot of happiness put together. Which, hey, if everything I've been talking about is not true, that's not a bad definition. But it's just sloppy. They haven't read the Bible properly. What the Bible says is that joy is qualitatively different to happiness. Not quantitatively different. It's qualitatively different. Happiness comes from temporary environmental sensory experiences. Right? Like chocolate or a nice bottle of Shiraz or a good steak or a decent roller coaster or a good Marvel movie. It's based on temporary sensory experiences, right? Sex, alcohol, fun. Joy is based on eternal realities, ultimately a reality of being in good relationship with God, our creator. And so while the world continues to go up and down, this VUCA world with all of its suffering and brokenness and with all of our brokenness as well, Happiness levels are always going to go like this. So even these, the person who agrees with the question, I'm sure would be honest and agree that they're not always happy. I'm not always happy. I'm sure they're not always happy. Happiness levels go like this, whether you're Christian or not. But if you're a follower of Jesus, joy is up here and it's constant because it's anchored eternally. Whereas happiness is anchored in the world and the world is vuka. It's all messed up. So your happiness will go like this whether you're a Christian or not, but joy is solid up here. That's what God offers that no other worldview offers. Only the Christian worldview offers it. And it offers it, importantly, not through your effort, not through our effort, but through what Jesus has already done. So it's a gift. It's given by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Every other worldview, religious or anti-religious, theistic or atheistic, is all about what you have to do or think or feel or say on some level. There's rituals, there's things to believe, there's things to do, there's effort to put in, and then you get this thing called happiness. The Christian message is no, it's about who you are. Are you in relationship with God in the way that he has called you to be? And once you're in that relationship, what you do and think and feel and say will flow in a certain way, but they're not really relevant because the Christian message is ontologically grounded. It's grounded in who you are, not in what you do and feel and think and say. And thank God for that because what I do and think and feel and say when I look through my life is really bad. It's not good enough to get this thing called happiness. It's not good enough to achieve this stuff. So I'm glad it has to come to us from outside of ourselves. Uh, it was a long answer, but it's a very important question. And I think if you want more answers, you also have some resources online, right? We do, yeah. Thinking yeah. Faith has, um, yeah, we have, an, I mean, we have an online website, um, or you can follow us on um, Instagram or Facebook, which is at Thinking Faith Asia, just one word. There's more stuff on this. Yeah. Um, early on, you also mentioned about being in right relationship with others. Yes. Besides God. So we have um, some questions about what that means. Uh, can you unpack that a bit more for us? What does it mean to be in right relationship with others? Someone also asked, does it mean that I need to have a lot of human relationships or just a few deep ones? Maybe you can comment a bit more on, on this. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, in terms of, it, it doesn't have a qualitative, a quantitative prescription. So it's not about having a, a necessarily a few very deep relationships or lots of um, you know, maybe less intimate relationships. All of that is fine. There's no requirement or model um, that the Christian message says. What the Christian message talks about in, loving, in terms of loving relationships with others is how you posture yourself compared to the rest of humankind. And this is where, I mean, I talk now about how secular happiness, or happiness out there in the world is different to Christian joy. In the same way, love out there in the world is very different to Christian love. 
There's no questions out there amongst anyone, Christians and non-Christians, that love is really important. Love is the most important ethic, right? Everyone's been singing and dancing and writing and crying and cheering about love for thousands and thousands of years, all the way from Shakespeare through to Beyonce. Everyone's you know, writing about love. The difference is people out there think that the problem out there with the world is that there's not enough love, right? Black Eyed Peas, where is the love? The Beatles, all you need is love. They think there's not enough love out there. They're half right, but they're not completely right. Because once again, they think the problem is a quantitative problem. There's just not enough. The problem is quantitative, sure, but it's also qualitative. It's not just that there's not enough love. The love that is out there is the wrong kind of love. Because human love is once again anchored in desire. And so when you see Shakespeare and Thomas Hardy and the Nobel winners you know, and Taylor Swift singing and talking and dancing about love. It's all about something that someone wants, the object of someone's affection, the object of desire. Christian love is not like that. Christian love is about sacrifice. So love out there in the world is about self-fulfillment, me getting what I want because I love someone or I love something and I want to get it. It's acquisition. It's acquisitive. Whereas Christian love is actually self-abandonment. It's sacrificial love. It's ultimately shown by Jesus on the cross. And so when we talk about being in right relationship with other people, the the, the Christian model for friendship, relationship, marriage, you name it, um, is just all about putting other people first. It's all about putting other people first. And you don't find that in any worldview prescribed. You, You find these ideas of being nice to people, being good to people and whatever, but you don't find the standard of sacrifice that Jesus talks about in the Bible in any other worldview. The idea that you would actually not just love others as you love yourself, but be willing to lay down your life for others. Remember, talking about the cross, this is a God who came into the world as a person and was literally loving the people who were killing him while they were killing him. That's, that's not what Romeo and Juliet's about. That's a pathetic kind of love out there compared to what this God did. That's a different brand of love. It's qualitatively different. It's not quantitatively different. And so it doesn't really matter if you have one friend or a thousand friends. Um, the, the point is that our hearts are postured towards the good of the other at our own cost. Christians are called to love others at a cost to themselves, to sacrifice for others, to put others first, to put their interests first, regardless of how I feel or what I want or what the objects of my desire are. And obviously, as I'm saying this, you're all thinking the correct thing, which is, I can't do that. That's insane. That's ridiculous. Of course it's insane. We can't do it in our own strength. That's why God invites us into a relationship with him first, and then that love that he channels through us flows into our relationships with other people. hope that's helpful. Well, we have a lot of young adults here who are thinking about their lives and how to be successful uh, the right way. So some of them are thinking about um, how do you balance prioritizing success, um, I believe in a spiritual sense, they say in heaven, versus success in the secular world. Um, or should there even be such a dichotomy? How, how, how should they be thinking about this as Christians? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think, well, for Christians and non-Christians, every answer I give applies equally to both of us. Um, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I honestly think if we focus on investing in our relationship with God and investing in our relationships with the people in our lives, family, friends, whoever it might be, colleagues, workmates, then I think everything else will flow. Because once you do those first two things, 
you naturally will have a sense of meaning and purpose that will flow into a work ethic. And you will commit yourself to be diligent at whatever it is that God has called you to do. And the be- one of the other beautiful things about the Christian message is all work has dignity and all, word has it- all work has intrinsic and transcendent meaning because you're doing it for God. So the street sweeper is sweeping streets for God. He's not just sweeping streets. The derivatives trader is trading derivatives for God. The crypto trader is trading crypto for God. So you're called to do it with this spirit of excellence. And so just naturally, that stuff is more likely to go well. It doesn't mean it will go well. The whole crypto thing could be done and dusted by tomorrow and you might lose all your money and your job and your respect and your credibility. But that's just the VUCA of the world. The point is, while you're doing it, the love of God and the meaning and purpose you draw from your relationship with God is going to flow into every part of your life. Because being a Christian is not about what you think and feel and say and do. It's about who you are. So you can't help but bring all of yourself to your work all of yourself to the sports team that you're involved in, all of yourself to your hobbies, all of yourself to your friendship group. And that self is infused by this supernatural love of God that will just keep pouring out. So the short advice I have is invest in your relationship with God and invest in your relationships with other people and everything else will just flow. There's lots more that the Bible has to say that will help too, like you know, take care of yourself physically, treat your body with dignity, Rest well, sleep well, eat well, exercise well, self-train, equip yourself. There's lots of principles that come out of the Bible that are a bit more focused, but it, I don't want to boil it down to those two things all the time, but it really does start with those two sets of relationships. If we're not spending time with God every day and if we're not authentically putting other people before us and putting their interests before ours, then nothing else I don't think will work. Now, I think there are a lot of people here who want to live out the purpose that God has called them to, and some of them are thinking, um, what does this mean in greater detail? For example, in their specific circumstance, a specific job, yep. what should they do in life? Um, how do they discover that calling? Uh, should they look at their interests or inclinations? Um, so mm. do you have any answer for that? Yeah. So please, first of all, get advice from lots of people. And what I'm about to say is just one piece of those advice, that advice. Also, get advice from people close to you that you trust, that know you well. Um, there's no real good reason for you to trust me any more than the people that are close to you, apart from the fact that I was invited here to speak. But you have to test everything I say against the Bible, first of all, and those close to you that know you better than I know you. Um, But yes, I think you're on the right track there. Look at your inclinations, look at your interests, and look at your giftings. What are you gifted for? The best advice I got was go with your giftings. God's not going to gift you with certain abilities and things that you like and enjoy, um, for, no, for no particular reason. Go with your giftings. Talk to people, read the Bible, pray about it, pray for opportunities to open up, but then get up and have a go. Just try some stuff. God is not the kind of God who just tells us what to do at every point, at every decision. What God says is draw close to me. And when you do that, you will become the kind of person that can go and make your own decisions. So my son's four years old. He asks me now whether he can have a glass of milk. Right? He asks me now you know, if he needs to go to the bathroom and we're out somewhere. If he's 25 and we're living in a different country, a different city to him, and he calls me up like from college and he's like, hey, Papa, can I, can I get a glass of milk? I would have failed as a father. Right? That's insane. Right? He needs to make his own decisions by then. God's exactly the same with us. He doesn't want us running to him like a four-year-old every time we have to make a decision. He's like, why are you asking me? 
You should know, you should be the kind of person that is capable of making decisions for yourself. If you're not, the problem is not with the decision. The problem is you're not close enough to me. So how we get better at making decisions is we draw closer to God. And then we grow into the kind of person who can make decisions for ourselves. That's how he operates. He wants us to grow to make decisions for ourselves. And so our generation, when I say our generation, I'm putting myself in a younger generation than I probably can be. But our generation is deeply instructional and transactional because we've grown up in a very transactional world where we come to this Christian message and we're like, all right, God, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Do I you know, be a doctor or a lawyer or an artist? And often God is like, I don't care. Just come deeper into a relationship with me and then go and do whatever you want. And when you're doing that, you will be, be the kind of person that will honour me and that will honour the people around you and that will fit with the calling and I will make that work. So it's not like there's one plan A that we have to find with God. We've got to get out there and try stuff. We've got to fail at stuff. But the whole time we've got to be growing closer to God. That's the key. And the closer we are to God, when you see really spiritually mature people, they don't need to go like to a mountaintop for three weeks to pray about a decision. They just make it on the spot because their will is so aligned with God's will in the moment. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about decisions. Of course, we should do that. We should pray for clarity, for wisdom, for guidance, and then we should just make a decision. Our, our generation, we want a vision, we want a dream, we want a sign. That's just not how God rolls. He's given us his word. He's given us a relationship with him. He wants us to grow up and stop acting like four-year-olds and actually make a decision. If we want to do something, we pray about it, we have peace about it, we talk to people close to us, and then we make a decision for ourselves. And it will either go well or badly, but it doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. God always works it out. He always makes things work out for good for those who love him. He always makes it work out, work out for good. It might not feel good in the moment, but we can be confident when we are walking with him and walking closely with him that he's got us and he's with us. So there's no right or wrong decisions, really. There's only decisions that are made when we're not walking closely with God. And if you're not walking closely with him, then you should be stressed about your decisions because then it's just you. Then it's just you. And that's deeply problematic. Then we're on our own. No wonder everyone out there's got anxiety and one in five you know, Singaporean young people have got undiagnosed depression. Right? It's because they think they're on their own. If the Christian message is true, that's not true. We're not on our own. We just need to keep drawing closer to him. Well, Max, I want to ask you about who will win the next NBA championship, which was one of the questions. But maybe um, you could also share... I do, I do know the answer to this, by the way. You do know the answer? I do. Okay, well, that, that's very prophetic. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe you could also share how, from your own personal life, how did you arrive at these conclusions? I, I don't think you were born this way, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, I used to be a really nice guy. <laughs> no. So, so I grew up in in what people would call you know, a Christian home, which I don't really understand because homes can't be Christian. People are Christians. Um, but both my parents were followers of Jesus. Um, and so I was really blessed by that. But I gave my life to Jesus. I made a decision at an event similar to this, actually. But you know, I was 15 years old, and I just felt a sense that this was right. But I had so many questions and so many problems with this Christian message. But I just said yes anyway. And then over the next kind of 15 years... God basically, through people, through research that I had done, um, through various ways and pathways, he answered the big questions that I had and the big struggles that I had. Um, I still have questions um, and struggles, but for me, it's very much been a journey. It's very much, it's been a relationship, you know? Christianity was never something I bought into and chose to believe in. 
Um, it was just about a person. It was just Jesus. And so my faith journey has gone up and down, but it's only ever gotten better when I've just focused on that relationship with Jesus. Uh, and so keeping it relational, I think, is the key. I mean, that's how I've worked out a lot of my stuff.